0: Welcome. So today, if you haven't noticed, we are talking about in this wonderful Why Wednesday, why does God let evil happen? Why does evil exist in the world? We had a few of you guys who both asked in person and wrote down some type of question that was along that line: of why is there evil? Why do bad things happen? Stuff like that. So that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. And one, so I like the why is there evil question and then if God is so good, why does he allow suffering and evil? So I love that little intro video because it's so true that we were designed for so much better, yet we live underneath what we were designed to be. So we're going to go through a few different things in this question and how we answer it. Things like, does evil disprove God. There's a lot of atheists that believe that evil is an argument against God. So we're going to start there. And then after that, we're going, going to go into, did God create evil? If he is a perfect and good being, did he create evil? Because that doesn't sound right. Then we're going to go into, well, if there is evil in the world and if God is so good, why doesn't he step in? Why doesn't he fix it? Why is it allowed? And then after that, we're going to get into a question like, Why does God seem so different in the Old Testament? Why is he so mean or angry or why is there more wrath? Why do we see more of that? And why does that not seem like the God of today? Then we're also going to talk about why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why do good people seem to die so young sometimes? And that's going to be a little harder and we're going to get through that. But we're going to finish it off with what's God's solution to evil. So let's get to it. All right. So. First off, I want to put up one of my favorite authors is a man named C.S. Lewis. If you guys know C.S. Lewis, he has written quite a few books, the Narnia series being one of them. But another book that is a little bit different, not quite Narnia, is one called Mere Christianity. And I have a little quote from that. So let's put up that. It's going to be, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got to this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So essentially, cool thing about C.S. Lewis, if you don't know about him, he started as an atheist in his life. He went to war. He saw a lot of bad things. And he said, because of all these bad things I've seen, God cannot exist. But eventually, after talking with another really cool author called J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings author, who was a Christian, he started to change his view on God and eventually became quite a um, massive theologian that we actually we, we cite him a lot today when it comes to God. But what is he saying in this? He is essentially saying that without... How do we know what unjust is with, if there is no just? Basically, how can there be evil... Without good, or how can they be good without evil? And one thing that we like to to note here is that good cannot exist, or good can exist without evil, but evil cannot exist without good. I like to think of it this way: evil is like rust in a car. If you take rust out of a car, you get a really good car. You get a car that's going to last in these Syracuse winters. But if you take the car out of rust, what are you left with? You're left with nothing there's nothing for the rest to rest so another thing that if if you don't like that analogy shadows prove that there's sunshine there can be sunshine without shadows what's up sure something i saw is evil is the absent of light evil doesn't exist it's the absent of goodness just like evil is the absent of good evil does not exist it is the absent of good just like cold doesn't exist it's just the absent of Heat, and the same with darkness and light. So, with that, yeah. So, sunshine does not disprove shadows. Thank you. All right. So, essentially, all we're saying is good can exist, and evil doesn't have to, but evil cannot exist if there is no good. And what is good but God? God has to be good. If you guys remember a month ago when we were talking about how Christianity is the truth and how it actually exists. We talked about a few arguments for God, one of which being the morality argument, basically saying that there has to be an objective standard for morality, because if there was not, anything we think is bad is just personal opinion. The Holocaust, it was just personal opinion that that was a bad thing. Hitler thought it was a good thing. So in an atheistic worldview, everything is just personal opinion. So if good exists, God exists. One thing I love from another um, apologist, his name is Dr. Frank Turek. He says it this way, the existence of evil doesn't indicate the absence of God from the world, but the absence of him from our lives. I just love that. So evil does not disprove God. If anything, evil is an argument for God because like we said, evil cannot exist without there being a standard of good, which has to be God. But one thing I want to message, one thing I want to message, one thing I want to say before we get into this message is for everything that we're going to talk about today, there is a philosophical and like academic answer, and we're going to go through a lot of those. But one thing that I do want to make note of for anyone that's listening either online or anybody here that is like currently going through something, there is a big difference when you need a pastor and comforter. Versus when you just need a philosophical answer. If you're interested in these answers, this is a perfect time to really listen. But if you are suffering with something or you're going through something, that's when we need to make sure for us as Christians, when people come up to us and ask us these questions of why does God allow evil in the world? My first response can't be the academic philosophical this, 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 and this. And you see this proves why it's true. It needs to be, what are you going through? Hold on. Let's. Let's talk for a second. And are you going through something right now? Because if you are, any answer I give you is not going to help anything. I've known so many people who have lost parents or friends, and they go, why? I don't know why. And I have to sit there and go, that is a terrible question. And I'm going to have to be honest with you. You can't You can't ask it because you're not going to get an answer that's suitable for you. So we need to make sure that us as Christians, when people come to us, we need to be prepared to say, hey, are you going through something or if, are you just looking for information? Because if you are, I got you, but if you need a pastor and a comforter, that's what I'll be. And that's what I'll be first. So let's talk about evil. Did God create it in the garden? When we go way back to the beginning of Genesis, we see that God created the tree of good and evil. Was there evil in the tree? Is that what happened? Did Eve eat of the fruit and magically all of a sudden it was like Pandora's box and it released evil throughout the whole world? Maybe. But a lot of theologians believe that that tree was just a tree. It was just a tree with fruit. Nothing too crazy. But what the act was, was Eve eating the fruit. And it was because she disobeyed God That for the first time, there was separation between our perfect existence and God. And so that's what released shame. And they realized their nakedness and all of that. It was that act of disobedience. You see, God is only responsible for this. It's giving us freedom. But we are responsible for those acts of freedom. So if we were to put ourselves in the garden, like Eve, I would be the first to admit I don't think I could last forever, being constantly tempted by that serpent saying, hey, because if we go back to Genesis 3, he goes, I know God said you would die if you eat of that fruit, but I, you're not going to die. He's not going to kill you. And he just sits there and goes, I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe he won't kill us. And he goes, well, if you eat of that fruit, it'll it'll give you knowledge like God, He's holding back from you. And I would be the first person to go, he's holding back from me. Like I'm I would admit it, I wouldn't last. I would be Eve. And I'd be like, yo, Adam, this tastes great. Um but one thing I actually, while I was doing research for this, I I I thought about this side note, take us out of evil for a second. How powerful can prayer be? Let's think about it. Let's go to the garden again. Satan comes in as the serpent. He goes, hey, check out that tree. God told you not to eat of it. I don't think you're going to die. I think God's holding back from you. What would happen if Eve just went, let me go ask him real quick. All of a sudden, now we're talking to God, and God says, no, that's that's not what I'm doing. I'm just giving you a choice. I want you to choose me. How powerful can our prayer be if you're going through some type of temptation right now or you're getting those thoughts in your head that you're not good enough or you're getting those thoughts in your head like i can't be in that situation i i don't want to talk to my friend like that oh i don't want to do this but maybe those are just lies from the enemy where all you got to do is just ask him hey god am i am i really not good enough i guarantee he's gonna go that's not what i said i qualified you before you were even born you are good enough i love you so much So, just a little tidbit of what I like to see back to evil. All right. So, did God create evil? No. It was because of our acts of freedom that he allowed us to do. Because if we're going to touch on this in a second, well, let's just touch on it right now. So, why doesn't God step in? We're going to kind of go between the two. Free will. Who knows the concept of free will? You can freely choose to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. That was a gift from God. See, if we didn't have free will, what would happen? We would just do exactly what we were programmed to do, but we'd have no choice. We'd just have to, we'd still be tending the garden, naming animals. But with those acts of freedom and free will, when we chose to defy God for the first time, that's when, like I said, shame Negativity, all the sins, separation from God happened. Um, Rewind. Sorry, I lost my place. Sorry, online. All right, so free will. Because we have free will, we also have what is true love, right? Because if God created us and he just let us be robots, and he loved us, but we couldn't love him, that wouldn't be a reciprocal relationship at all. So with our freedom, we have the ability to choose God and to choose loving him. So why doesn't God step in? Why does he allow it? Let's say there's an atheist who comes up to you, and they say, well, there's so much crap that happens in the world. There's evil all about. There's... Young babies dying, that shouldn't happen. Cancer sucks. Um, All these things, awful. Why do you think God allows that? Why hasn't God stepped in for that? And then they go, well, I think I I would say, well, God did step in. Hold on, Let's, let's look at the Bible for a second. Let's go back to the Old Testament. One thing that I love to do is when you start bringing up the Old Testament, that's when the atheists go, oh, that is an angry, unjust, very jealous God, And then that's when you go, wait, wait, but you can't be unjust without justice. Justice creates God, goodness of God, all that good stuff. But let's go back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, let's see some some things where God actually stepped in. Let's go to the Canaanites for a second. So God's chosen people, the Israelites. He said, these Canaanites have been doing evil things for hundreds of years. Let's put up this picture for a second. This is the god Molech. Now, what is this depiction here? That is a high priest who is putting a baby on the molten hands of Molech. You can see them stoking the fire underneath it. You got these drummers drumming on the bottom because the babies would start screaming so loud that the drummers would drum louder so that you wouldn't hear the baby scream. That is pretty detestable. And God, after hundreds of years of watching that, goes, Israelites, take them out. I'm done with that. God stepped in. Now we see other things like the flood. There was evil rampant. Let's go back to Genesis. Evil is rampant around the world. And it is so bad where God goes, starting over. Noah, I like you. We're going to keep you. We're going to keep your family because you're righteous. We also have uh, his prophets all throughout the Old Testament speaking to kings, when to go to war, when not to go to war, when to go to certain places, how to act certain ways. And that God still works today. We just don't have thousands of years written down in one book like the Bible that shows his workings. But God still moves. God still works today. He still steps in from time to time. What I like to do is think of all the wars that were never fought. Think of all the miraculous saves that you've either witnessed or not witnessed that you've heard of. I even think about it this way where, what about the medicines that we have today? The technologies that we have? These people created them here, but who created those people? God did. So God is working miracles still to this day. And one thing I love we 're going to watch this video he's still working even in I know this is a hot hot button issue right now, but the Muslim community he is still working let 's watch this video real quick. So God is still moving today. that was eleven years ago let's fast forward to right now, even in the Muslim community. I found an article it was actually um, two assemblies of God people. there was a pastor named james bradford and a missionary named dick dick Brodgen, um and they they're both out in um, in the middle east right now and this whole article is just it's a few different um, stories of people who are getting these dreams where they see this man whose name is jesus and they have these radical encounters and there was another story of a a lady who was tending her sheep in the desert and she went to a watering hole and she was with a Christian friend but she'd never seen Jesus and she goes you know what God if you're real show yourself to me and she sees this massive she looks down into the pool and she sees this massive reflection of this man smiling with a shepherd's staff and she looks around she goes no one's there and she looks at it again and she turns to her friend she's like what's happening and she goes God is revealing himself to you. And so these things are happening. And the, the article is titled, um, Missionaries Report Muslim Meetings Meeting Jesus in Dreams in Levels We've Not Seen in 1,400 Years. So God is still moving today. So the same God who stepped in before is still stepping in now. But we have to ask ourselves again, If God is so perfect and just, and if he's still moving today and doesn't change, why does he seem so mean in the Old Testament? This is a very easy answer to this question. The Old Testament spans over thousands of years. And we get the highlights of the highlights of God moving because it follows the story of the Israelites. And ultimately, it's just the shadow that leads to Jesus in the New Testament. But we get thousands of years of history. That's a lot of time to mess up that's a lot of time for God to make corrections and to step in and do things. The New Testament is only about 62 years. That's all we get, that snapshot. But if we start to look throughout our own history, the past 2,000 years from Jesus to now, if you look, you'll find God moving the whole time and he hasn't changed, not once. So this is the part where we start talking about a little bit harder stuff. Why does God allow things to happen? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And so, again, I'm going to remind you, this is the topic when people bring it up. You have to ask, are you going through something? Are you actually just looking for an answer, or do you need a comforter? Do you need a pastor? So... One thing I like to bring up when we start talking about why does God allow good things to happen or bad things to happen to good people, let's look at the book of Job. Who knows Job? All right, if we don't know Job, it is in chronological order in the Bible. It starts in the first few chapters of Genesis, and then we see Job. And we meet this man, and we meet him actually through God first. Now picture we're at a courtroom up in heaven, and God is presiding over everything, and the He's allowing all the angels to come together, even the ones who have fallen. So Satan is also a part of this. And God looks at Satan and goes, where have you been, man? Satan so goes, I've been traveling the earth. And God goes, have you seen my servant Job? Now, some people look at this and they go, well, why is God offering this guy up to Satan on a platter? If you know the story of Job, it's it pretty dark. But I don't think the Lord was doing that. I think the Lord was saying, hey... I created a being who, in God's words, is blameless and righteous, and God loves Job so much, and I think what he was actually doing was going, hey, Satan, have you seen, have you seen Job? He's one of my best. I love him, and you got this guy, Satan, who goes, listen, if you take away everything that Job, that you've given Job. Now, Job was a rich man. He had a great family. He had great friends. He had pastures on pastures. He had thousands of sheep, cattle galore. Kings were jealous of him. And Satan goes, if you take all that away, he's not going to love you like he does. And all God does is go, all right, prove me wrong. Now, we'll We worship a God who knows the beginning and the end. So God knows what was going on. But Satan doesn't. But he's going, I'm going to prove God wrong. He's been trying to do it since the beginning. And so he goes to Job. And in a moment, Job loses his family. He loses all of his money. He loses his lands. And still does not say a bad word against God. And Satan comes back. And God goes, I told you, dude. Satan goes, no, no, no. But you put limits on me. I wasn't allowed to to touch Job. So if I make his life so miserable, that's that's when he's going he's gonna to rebuke you. And the Lord goes, prove me wrong. He goes down and then Job gets sores on sores and cuts and his existence is just miserable and he's in pain constantly. And this is after his anguish of losing everything and all of his family and his kids and all of that. And still does not rebuke the name of the Lord. he has friends who come in and they're trying to tell Job, Job, you clearly you've done something wrong. You have to repent. You have to repent. And Job's like, I haven't done anything wrong. Why is all this happening to me? And you got God who reminded us in the beginning, Job was blameless and righteous. So in God's words, Job didn't do a single thing. But why is all this evil happening to him? Why is God allowing it to happen to him? So let's fast forward towards the end of Job. After all these arguments that Job is having with his friends, Job just goes, that's it. I just want to talk to God. And God was silent for a little bit, silent for a little bit. And his friends are trying to say, hey, you did something wrong. You did something wrong. Job's like, I've not done anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, that's when God comes in and goes, do you know how to run the universe? I'm paraphrasing here chapters of the Bible. Do you know how to run the universe, Job? Just looks at him and goes, "No." Were you? Th- I don't remember seeing you there at creation. Were, were you there? Job's like, no, "I wasn't there. I was not there. I'm so sorry, God." And he goes, "Let's use a different verse. My ways are better." That's what God was saying. You just got to trust me. You got to trust me that one. I got you. Two. I love you. And three. Yes. You've been in a lot of pain and you've lost a lot. But we see that God said, but Job, you came to me correctly. And God actually rebukes all the friends who are saying these lies and who are actually talking incorrectly about God. And God looks at Job and he goes, I know you've been angry. I know you've been calling me names. I know that you've been so mad at me. But you came to me correctly because you came to me. You talked to me. And, he, and so if we follow the story one thing that's so interesting about this is we never learn why God allowed it to happen but at the end of the book we see God's miraculous restoration in Job's life so one thing that you've heard of like spiritual warfare stuff like that mm-hmm. sometimes that God punishing because the devil sees something in you about the way you follow God that he's attacking you because of how you follow God this is very true this is very true. And that's exactly what happened to Job. And that still happens to people to this day. So, we got someone like Job. And the cool thing, if we really dissect his story, there are lessons that Job learned only through his suffering. He learned the restorative power of God. He learned the supremacy of God. There were He was a reverent man before, but he was a repentant man after. And so, Let's go to a verse like Romans 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's all this mean? Very similar to what Kaylee was talking about. Sometimes the things we see as evil is not actually evil, but it can be good. God trying to produce something in us. There are some virtues that can only be developed through evil and through trials. Things like there's no courage without danger. There's no perseverance without obstacles. There's no compassion without suffering. There's no patience without trials. There's no character without adversity. But the one that stuck out to me most is there's no faith or trust without need. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. This is the message version. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here that meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. What does this mean? In two words, eternal perspective. This earth is temporary. This earth is in transition. One of my professors in college said it this way, when it comes to even things like natural disasters, evil was allowed on this earth, and this earth is in transition because we can see in revelation that this will become heaven. But what happens with things in transition, they are not perfect. So things like massive storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, these happen in imperfect places. But again, the things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. The sufferings that we're going through, the hard times we're going through will not last. But paradise awaits. If you guys know one of my friends, Michael Mastronardi, he plays on stage a little guitar. um, But we were talking about this topic the other day, and he said something that stuck out. When it comes to navigating suffering and evil in the world, because we're not able to see the full picture, he said it this way. He says, you learn how to navigate the tension of the mystery. Basically, knowing God and growing in God often requires pain. C.S. Lewis, our friend again, says it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks, to, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There are things that God can only produce out of suffering and out of evil. It's not always devil working against us. It's not always suffering just for suffering's sake. Sometimes there are things that we need to learn. And God has not revealed himself fully to us, like I mentioned before. We don't have the mind of God. This is something Job learned. We don't see the grand tapestry of the picture of the universe that God does. We have our individual threads. Even at the end of our life, we will only be able to see the parts of those threads that we touch. But that's it. We don't even get to see the full picture of the part of the picture we're a part of. And I have another picture. does anyone know what this is yes do you know what the picture is and neither could I but this thread doesn't touch that thread and that thread doesn't touch that thread but that thread touches the thread that touches the thread that touches the thread that touches the blah, on go on until it gets to that. If we zoom out, it's actually a picture of a sunflower. I don't have that picture for you. I'm sorry. But that is what we're in. We have one thread. One of those threads is me. One of those threads is you. And they happen to be very close to each other because we're encountering each other right now. And we're all part of a similar picture. But it is a part of a grand picture of the whole universe that we will never get to see but there is one being who sees it all and that's God and so there are certain things that we will never know we will never know why God lets some people die and some people live ask him This is true. I've heard it this way where when people, um, someone said it this way, when you get to heaven, uh, your time on earth seems like an inconvenient motel room stay in the grand scheme of things, one night. And that's a that's a fun topic too, that we can expound on a little bit more when it comes to people going to hell versus people going to heaven. I'll give you the quick summary of it though. Let's look at God's love for a second. Um, ladies in the room, have you ever been pursued by a guy who likes you that you don't like? <laughs> yeah, I know it, Josh. Or for the guys, have you ever been pursued by someone who likes you that you don't like? My that's unfair. So let's say you have a, a stalker. You have this person who comes up to you. Congratulations. <laughs> um, let's say this person comes up to you who you don't want to be involved with whatsoever. And they go, listen, I love you so much. We're going to be together forever, no matter what you say. Are you a little freaked out? Yeah. Are you trying to get a restraining order? Probably. This is how our relationship with God is like. Because God goes, I love you so much, but I love you so much that if you don't want to be with me, I'm not going to force you to be with me. So when people live their entire life on earth saying no to God and Again, we can expand on this a little bit more. God reveals himself to every single person. He is a perfectly just God, meaning every single person on this planet, even the people that we have not even spoken a word to in the Amazon. God reveals himself to every single person in a way where they have a choice to choose him or not. And if they don't choose him, he loves them too much to not force them with him forever. That's what hell is. Separation from God. So, to talk about suffering a little bit more, in my own personal life, um, some of you may know this because I've said it once or twice, but if you don't know it, here's a fresh reminder. My dad passed away when I was 10 years old. I lived most of my life without an earthly father, and that has created a lot of baggage. It's created a lot of suffering in areas that I didn't think I would suffer in, there are things that still happen to me to the this day where I still hurt from it. But as I look back these past almost 19 years, uh, I wrote down a few er- areas of growth that I've seen because of the struggle that I was in. Things like I have compassion for those who who have been lost or who have lost people. I have patience through my own struggles now. I also have patience through other people's struggles. I have had time after time of him providing for me when I didn't think anything was going to happen. So I have more faith there. As I was looking for earthly father substitutes, I have gained wisdom from a heavenly father. And one of the biggest ones is I have found a joy and peace that I cannot comprehend or understand, or reciprocate. But through all my trials and struggles and that, that I still go through to this day, God has been faithful the entire time. And I can see all the areas of my life that I've learned through that. Go back to the Romans verse about struggling and eventually getting to hope. Now, I could have easily turned away from God. I could have hated him. I could have hated my life. I could have complained. I could have been a victim, but i was raised in the church and i stuck with him and i let him do the surgery required i still grieved i still hurt but my joy was renewed daily it comes every day there's new strength every day and it's not my own so let's go to romans 8:28 for a second we're going to keep talking about evil and we know that for those who love god all things work together for the for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We like to say Romans 8.28 a lot, but we forget about Romans 8.29, where it talks about how we need to be conformed to the image of the son. That means we are required to be shaped, molded, pruned, cut but eventually healed. We'll have scars, but that's how we get through things. And that it is in those moments that God can turn anything that has been done for for evil, anything that is perceived as bad. We may never see it in our lifetime. We may never see it in generations from now, but God can take anything that's bad and work it for his good. But it comes through those who have been conformed to the image of the sun. Those who have been shaped, molded, pruned, cut, and healed. And at the end of the day, we can have all the answers to why we think God does what he does. But it comes down to us as humans saying, all right, God, I might not agree with how you're doing this. I might not agree with you letting you know, that child die of leukemia but i'm going to trust that your ways are better. And this is how we try to come to an understanding of why bad things happen to good people sometimes. My dad was a youth pastor, he was an evangelist, he brought a lot of people to God and there was a lot more that a lot more good that he could have done. I don't know why he's gone. But God does. I'm going to trust that his ways are better. So what's God's solution to evil? It's Christianity, but it's you and it's me. It's people who are conformed to the image of the sun who have been, let's say it one more time, who have been shaped, molded, pruned, cut, and healed. I love it this way. John three sixteen we know it well, but let's go all the way to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For anyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, let his works, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What does all that mean? God games to save every single person, but there are some people who don't want to be saved. And that is where evil comes from. So what is God? God is so good. God is so perfect. Let's go to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, or anyone who does... Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. Vocab. for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfect in us. What does propitiate mean? I learned how to say it now. It means to win or regain the favor of God. That's what Jesus did. So, what is this saying here? We are the solution to evil in the world. That comes from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. So ultimately, there is evil in the world. We don't know why God allows all the things that he does, but there are going to be people who come up to you who try to prove to you that God doesn't exist because evil is in the world, or they try to stump you, or they try to ask you why it's there. And if you remember anything from tonight, just remember there's one question that you need to ask back to people when they ask you about evil in the world. Are you going through something? Because I'm here for you. Or are you just looking for an answer? Because I got that as well.